Stop that. Brian, the check will be in the mail. <laughs> he was really thanking Kevin. See, he got mixed up. And, and so thanks, Kevin, for letting me get all your accolades. Is it well with your souls today? Um, I'm so glad that we sang that song because it, it uh, is a song that issues forth from a life that was terrifically disrupted, a family terrifically disrupted, and yet found peace like a river attending their souls. I think most of us know the, uh, the story, at least of the uh, mother and four daughters uh, who were on their way to Europe, and the ship went down, and uh, the mother alone was rescued and the cable came back to the father and husband saved alone. Uh, that family was the family of H.G. Spafford from Chicago. Uh, the backstory of that is that he was a uh, businessman in Chicago and also an associate of Dwight L. Moody uh, and uh, helped sponsor his crusades, he was a successful businessman, and like many uh, in Chicago at the time, lost almost everything in this great Chicago fire. Um, and recovering from that, and the trauma and the disruption of that, if for all of Chicago, talk about a disruption, I mean the whole city was gone. Uh, and so uh, he sent his wife and four daughters over for a retreat, a vacation, just rest. Uh, and he stayed behind to sign some, some documents, some business things, real estate. And, uh, and that's when the ship went down. Um, so the story is that when he went over to, to get her, to bring her back, the ship captain stopped at the very spot where they said the ship went down. And uh, he penned the words to this song, this hymn uh, that we sing. Well, there's more to the story. Uh, because he came back with his wife and uh, they had a son, I believe, first. Uh, and he had a falling out with his church over the issue of the death of his four daughters. Uh, it's hard to conceive of this, but it happens that some people were saying, what, what's sin in his life that would cause this to happen? Can you believe that? That, 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 that happened. And so another disruption this is the third disruption in their lives. Uh, the fire, the loss of four daughters, then the, uh, this thing with this church. And so somewhere in there, his son died. Um, and he and his wife 
picked up and moved to Jerusalem and established the International Hotel in East Jerusalem a hundred years ago. It became a place of reconciliation and peace even before the First World War and for the, the Jewish uh, people that had stayed there all these years and the Palestinians and Arabs. And through the war uh, became a hospital. This is the First World War now, not the second. Uh, and there are still bullet holes in that hotel from the First World War. Uh, they have been there for a hundred years. The descendants are still running that hotel. I've eaten there, lunched there with Palestinians and Israelis uh, several years ago. And uh, it has been a testimony to what God will do and can do through people's lives if they let his disruptions uh, bring them forward, take them into his purposes uh, instead of reacting and, and uh, fleeing or uh, denying what God is doing, uh, instead embracing. Uh, so if we want it to be well with our souls, we have to embrace the disruptions as difficult as they may be. Um, at the end of Frank Dawson's life, uh, after God had disrupted him with a terminal illness, he began sharing that we need to see the commonly unseen and hear the commonly unheard. Uh, now, he didn't mean by that uh, seeing heavenly visions or hearing esoteric messages, but rather being, having the perceptivity to see what others don't see, to hear what others don't hear. Reminiscent of Jesus saying, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. The eyes to see, let him see. And so it kind of became a, a, a motto of ours in the church to see the commonly unseen, to train our eyes and our ears to, to see what God's doing, uh, disruptions in our lives, and find out what he intends to do through that by embracing them. Mike Cook, who wrote Stout-Hearted Men, was disrupted even before his cancer diagnosis with Bob Mumford's Agape Road and returned to his first love. And that's all Mike could talk about, wasn't it, brothers? And he was leading people in the last years of his life back to their first love. Years ago, here at ACM, in a men's only uh, conference, Dal Robinson, who we're going to honored this afternoon, shared that God was restoring the joy of suffering to the church. Was that prophetic? <laughs> uh, that oxymoron to some people <laughs> um, speaks of a heart that is 
like Jesus, desiring to please the Father, above all, so that God's disruptions just become part of the plan. Jamie shared from this scripture yesterday, and by the way, you know, getting up at this time in a conference like this, all your scriptures have been taken. You know, they've all been <laughs> used. Uh, sorry, Kevin, I can't help you, or Robert. But uh, uh, Jamie quoted this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That term, lay aside every encumbrance, also means to jump over every obstacle. It's like an obstacle course. Every disruption. Uh, and continue on. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the what? The joy set before him. Endured the cross, the ultimate disruption. (laughs) Scorning the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God. Biblical history is filled with God's disruptions. From Noah to Abraham. Noah, build an ark. There's never been rain, but build an ark. I'm going to disrupt the whole world. Abraham, leave your father's house and your father's people. I'm disrupting your journey, disrupting your life. To Moses at the burning bush, uh, you're going back to Egypt. To Joshua, who we heard about, uh, Matt, the opening night, uh, major disruption of his plans. The lost tribes, remember the lost tribes? They were really disrupted. Still are. The diaspora, the 400 silent years. Sometimes silence is a disruption. And finally, Jesus, who permanently altered and disrupted everyone's ideas about God. Say amen? Amen. Yeah. Uh, But he didn't stop with his earthly ministry. He continues to disrupt. He's the Lord of all disruptions. You have joined the church of the disruption. Uh, That's really what the church is. It's a disruption uh, in the affairs of men. If we are filled with his spirit, we're going to do what he did, right? And he, he disrupted. And Pardon me? And greater, and greater things, yeah. <laughs> so Paul was dancing around in Acts where I was going to go, and I'm going to, so I'm backing up, and uh, we'll get the pre-story here. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, When it had fully come, what happened? Well, we know that the Spirit descended as like a mighty rushing wind, right? Is that a disruption? I mean, that's a big disruption. And uh, the church is born, as we should say, in disruption. 
violent rushing wind. I mean, it really stirred things up. It was terrific. And yet people, some people thought that these guys were just drunk, right? So they couldn't hear the commonly unheard or see the commonly unseen. That's the nature of God's disruption is that not everybody gets it. Uh, not everybody sees what he's really doing. We have to, to be trained uh, to be able to participate in that. And uh, they had spent 10 days fasting and praying and they were ready. Uh, they didn't know what it was going to be like. He didn't, he didn't tell them, now, this is how it's going to be. He just said, wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the Father to do what he said he was going to do. He didn't say how it was going to happen. And that's the way it is with God. Uh, you notice that, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he doesn't tell us the hows. He tells us the whats. Uh, but he keeps the house to himself so that we, uh, as Paul said, stand on tiptoes, you know, that we're anticipating what, he's, what he'll do. Uh, then he can do that if he gets us in the place. Um, so what happens after Acts chapter 2, after this great end gathering, uh, miracles and healings taking place and uh, power, powerful disruptions continuing in Jerusalem. Well, of course, Peter and John are arrested and thrown in prison. And, and then uh, Peter and John and all the apostles are arrested and thrown in prison and released. And um, then we come to chapter 5 and this story of Ananias and Sapphira. And it tells us something. It tells us it's dangerous to be a part of the church of the disruption. Uh, it's dangerous business. Uh, is it still? I think it is if we're part of the church of the disruption. But if we're just part of the, the church of what's happening now, uh, I'm not sure that's so dangerous. But if we link our hearts and our spirits with the God of disruption, uh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be a leader in the church of the disruption, isn't it? Uh, we go on to Stephen's story, chapter 7, 6 and 7, and uh, the first martyr was a, a leader in the church. They say he was a deacon. He doesn't actually say that there. But... Um, so deacons in the early church, in the, in the church of the disruption, were more powerful than so-called apostles today, what I say. Uh, and as a result, God continued to disrupt their lives and the world that they were in. And it brings us to chapter 8 and verses 1 to 3, and after Stephen had been martyred. And, you know, it's an interesting statement here in verse 56 of chapter 7 where he says, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus was standing up when Stephen was, was uh, martyred. Uh, uh, 
That's, that's awesome. Because of who he was and what stand he was taking, he had just delivered the whole history of the children of Israel to the leaders and died forgiving them like Jesus did. Um, do not hold the sin against them. And then verse 1 of chapter 8, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all disrupted. <laughs> they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles and some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging, destroying the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women that he would put in prison. God disrupts for our good, but not for our good alone. Not just so that we would come to a place of, of peace in our souls, that the, the, the peace that passes understanding that I think can only really be experienced through suffering, through difficulty, through disruption, through whatever he allows or sends into our lives. That is where we we've begin to enter into that kind of peace, the peace that he had. Uh, himself that the world cannot give but it's also for the good of others uh, as I said the story of the Spaffords that all of that disruption the, the, the peace and the wellness in his soul then issued into ministry that they would have never conceived that they would be doing that opened up and is now a hundred years and going uh, this is how God does things and how he's always done things as the Lord of all disruption. Starting with Noah, starting with Abraham, the story is the same, how he deals with us. It's not just for us, but it's for others. And so the church, first church of disruption of Jerusalem, uh, was scattered all over the place. Now it's interesting that God chooses who he uses to disrupt. And that should give us peace. That should, should uh, help us. God's sovereignty is such that he doesn't waste anything. So who is the one? Who is the one who is disrupting the church. Who is the one who's destroying the church here but Saul? Which means destroyer. Who became what? Paul. Which means builder. Isn't God amazing? How he uses even our enemies. <laughs> uh, so when, when things happen to us, uh, we have to believe that God's in charge. I mean, that's what it is to walk by faith, isn't it? That 
God is really in charge. Either he is the Lord of all, or he's not the Lord of all. He's, not, he's never been called the Lord of some. <laughs> a little bit. Or maybe a lot. No. He's the Lord of all. And he's the God who disrupts for our good and for the good of others. And sometimes he has to disrupt us because we have become so concerned with our good that we've forgotten others. I think the early church, the church of, that was born in disruption, uh, was enjoying the fellowship. Uh, they had the at ease disease, you know. Uh, and God said, I know what they need. And I know who it needs to come through. Now Saul was, I believe, one of those who, in a previous chapter here, was, was uh, from Cilicia and had already disputed with the church. So Saul was on a mission. He believed he was on God's mission, and he was. He was already. Didn't know it, but he was. Yeah. As the disruptor, the troubler. And of course, you know the rest of the story. What happened to Saul. And we'll never know this side of heaven. Uh, Paul sharing around his conversion, his power encounter with God, you know, on the road to Damascus, where he was going to, to bring them back to Jerusalem and, and destroy them in chains. Uh, we don't know what was going through his mind and heart, you know, struggling with God when he heard Stephen forgive them at his last, says he was breathing out threatening and slaughter. But, you know, I believe there was a tension going on and a conflict and a disruption in his own soul that Jesus said, yeah, now he's ready so that he can say, who is it, Lord? Uh, and dramatically change course. So, if the disruptions are for our good and the good of others, then what is our good in it? I believe it's to get more of him in us. You can say, well, if you have the Holy Spirit, you've got all of him. No, but he doesn't have all of us. <laughs> That's the point. So, to get more of him in us means that he's got to disrupt us uh, to cause us to seek him, to say, what's happening, God? You know, what, what's this mean? What, what are we to do now? Because we think we've got it all laid out, don't we? You know, we're that way. Uh, and so he has to do this in all of our lives and to do it more than once. Uh, and his ways into us. Becoming part of us. 
Paul was reading out of Psalm 111 about the ways of God. Uh, that those who delight in him study, seek out his ways. And so he gives us his spirit. We begin to delight in him. We begin to seek out his ways. And then he says, uh, okay, you want to know my ways? It includes this, you know. I'm going to disrupt the course of your life. Uh, I'm going to disrupt the course of the church that you're part of. I'm going to disrupt the course of the city that you live in. I'm going to disrupt the course of the nation that you are in. Are you ready for me to do that? Well, if, if we keep poising our hearts toward him, we will be ready. Then we will know what it's going to look like or how it's going to work out, but we'll be ready at the time to then follow him and say, oh, that's what you're after. The other purpose is to get more of us out, as happened in Acts chapter 8, into the world that he loves. Now, when I say the word the evangel, what do you think of? What's that, the evangel? The gospel. And, and that's the what? The good news. Right? There's more to that word than that. That word's a compound word that means good angel. In Revelation, the letters to the churches that Brian was sharing out of are to the angels of the churches, the leaders of those churches. They called the angels there. Now, I think what God means in that is that we're to embody the message. The only way that this can happen, the only way that the good news really becomes good news is if it's embodied by the messenger. Otherwise, it's just any other message. It's from here, as Brian said, instead of from here. If, if it's not uh, embodied so that, that we love who God loves and what God loves, then there's no power in the message. Or we convert people to something other than what he really intended. Jesus put it this way. The Pharisees and Sadducees would roam clear across the land making disciples who became what? Twice the sons of hell that they were. They had a message. But it wasn't a message from God that they embodied. And they didn't love people. We can know how much that we are embodying the message by how many different kinds of people we can love. God loved the whole world. Uh, I'm messing with you now, aren't I, Dan? Yeah. I'm messing with me too, I'll tell you. That's Democrats too, yeah. <laughs> and liberals, and socialists, and progressives. 
and communists and Palestinians and Asians and the list goes on, doesn't it? You know, this is where our prejudices catch us. We don't even know we have them. Uh, until God disrupts us and sends us to some people who we thought we loved because we were in our nice safe cocoon and loving those who are like us. And then we, we have to engage something that we've never engaged. And the good news is that he uses that to put that in us. And then we begin embodying more of the message. And fruit is the result. Um, but he's got to blast us out of where we are. Because our tendency is to close the circle, isn't it? And enjoy the fellowship. But... You know, he had to do that with Israel, with Nebuchadnezzar, the first destroyer, to get them out of Israel. They had become totally ingrown. And they were to be a light to the nations. And God said, well, if you're not going to be, then I'll take you to the nations and make you a light to the nations. Do you know that the people, the Jews that were in Pentecost, at Pente in Jerusalem at Pentecost, from what all the nations, those were the descendants of the Jews that had been taken to Babylon and had gone from there to the nations instead of coming back. There was only a remnant that came back. So God used Nebuchadnezzar like he used Saul, and Nebuchadnezzar came to a, a place of faith, didn't he? Yes. The one true God. Similar story. So that they would be the ones coming on the day of Pentecost when the church of the disruption was born. And the same groups that would go back and that Paul would come first to the Jews and share and was the nucleus of the church that became the church of the disruption. Um, the whole thing this is the takeaway for you. The whole thing that God's about is embodying the gospel. To let him have his way in us. And his way is the way of love for all people. The way of mercy, the way of compassion, the way of life. It always has been. Didn't just start with the church on the day of Pentecost. That's the consummation of the Spirit coming and invading individual lives and invading the world that we're a part of. Well, just by way of illustration at home, our church in Lancaster, we have been involved in a disruption for most of this year. Uh, when Frank Dawson, the founding pastor, died in January, 
immediately after that, and that's a huge disruption, if you can imagine. I think pastor of the church has been with us 35 years, uh, and I mean, you can't replace Frank Dawson. You can't replace Mike Cook. You can't replace Dal Robinson. Uh, but you, you can say, God, uh, help us to build on their shoulders and go forth uh, and uh, honor not just their legacy, but their lives, how they lived. And, uh, but at the same time, we began renting our facilities to another church. Now, this is a church plant that I discouraged from starting uh, in, in our facility. I said to the pastor, I, th- I think you should start at home. Uh, he'd been through a major disruption in the church he had planted and found himself out of the ministry. <laughs> and so uh, he, <laughs> he came to me and we, we fellowshiped and talked about it. And I said, oh, I don't. So he took a couple of more months and then came back and said, no, I think we're supposed to start, you know, in a place that we can have a, a meeting, a big meeting, and, and then go from there. And I said, okay. So uh, th- we'd been praying about this for several years as a church. Um, God had, you know, we built the church 20 years ago, and uh, a lot of sweat equity in this church. It's like building your own home uh, in these facilities. And grew up and doubled in size and then grew down. It's like, honey, I shrunk the church, you know. And and so, literally, I mean, (laughs) Dee knows this. And um, so we say, well, God, what are you doing? This This is disruptive. You know, this isn't how it's supposed to be. You're just supposed to go from strength to strength. You know, bigger numbers and more impact. And, and yet, God chose to do something different. So, here we are saying, what do we do with this facility that we can't really use as it should be used? And so they come along and say, all right, God. Uh, so they moved in. And at first, just a meeting, Saturday night meeting for several months. Then we switched meetings. We went to Saturday night and they went to Sunday morning. And then they moved into offices and began repainting and changing things. Now, this is like a home invasion. You can imagine. For, it's, it's not like they rented facilities and we, and we bought another house, rented their house, but no, they, uh, they're there. And you can imagine the disruption for our folks that uh, come in and now things look different. And they're using the kitchen. I didn't see that one coming. But, boy, the wives did. And uh, so we had to work through that one. You can, you can imagine someone moving in, a family moving in and using your kitchen and sharing your house. That's what it's been like. Uh, and it's going to continue. Uh, it's a kind of a long-term rental agreement, rent option to own kind of thing. And uh, so we're just, you know, walking it out day by day. 
it'd, it'd be nice if it was something where we could just transition quickly. But no, no, God didn't, didn't want that for us. <laughs> so it's a continual disruption. But we've been focusing on the kingdom of God for the last five years. I mean, really focused on it. And on this message of embodying the kingdom. And God is allowing us to practice it at home. What is more important? Whether we feel comfortable in our home anymore or whether we are letting God disrupt us and finding out who out there that we aren't really engaging because we're so comfortable where we've been. So it's forcing us outward and, and I think more of him inward as we do. So uh, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. So I guess we're going to take a break.